sociologists have uh, noted that more and more homes uh, in the last few decades have been made with bigger and bigger backyards, bigger and bigger fences, uh, and the results are has been less and less hanging out in the front yard. Back in the day, back in my grandparents' day, there was a lot of times where people would just sit on the porch and see people roll by on the front yard, and that's where a lot of conversations would happen. And uh, the result has been in the last few years is there's more people that are cloistered and disconnected or spending time alone and uh, not connecting out in the front. And where there is neighborhood feelings, there's more of a, this is my house this is my space kind of feeling. And so sociologists have noted that, that there's a more divided feel just, because, just of the way that we've been building homes and designing our lives. Um, but there's this thing called the barbecue in some of the southern states. And in the south, I had someone confirm this in the last, uh, in the last service, uh, who's from Mississippi, the southern barbecues happen in the front yard. Many of the time, many of the time. And uh, in the front yard barbecues in the south, uh, anybody can come. Uh, you can be an Uncle Cletus walking along. You can be an, an aunt, uh, whoever, and you can just come. You can, you can just be someone driving down the street and you smell the aroma of meat cooking. And you stop and anybody's welcome at a southern front yard barbecue. And one of the things I remember when we planted or started Whitewater was this concept, man, we want to be like a, like a southern barbecue in the front yard where people can come and connect, people can be included, it doesn't matter your background, whether you're family or not. And friends, welcome to Whitewater. What we hope is a southern barbecue where you can belong before you believe. Amen? Amen. Doesn't matter if you believe what I believe. You might not be a Christian. You are in the right place. You might not know where you're at spiritually. You are in the right place. You might have been following Jesus your whole life. And uh, our goal is to help everyone in here move forward on their spiritual journey. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, would you, um, would you help us as we think about peace in a divided world today? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? Would you give us grace and truth? In Jesus' name, amen. In a world that is, is more divided um, and disconnected in many ways, uh, it, sometimes it can be kind of hard to... to Put our finger on that, but um, oh, I, as I've been looking at, at things, I, I've been looking at our, our world. I would just say there are some things that we can uh, trust that show kind of some of the fault lines. So let me um, let me ask uh, a few questions just to kind of reveal some of the areas of division in our world. Um, are there any vegans here today? Any vegans or a few? How vegetarians? Some people confuse the two. You know, two of you guys, they think you're the same, but you're not. Um, any meat eaters in the house? Whoa, listen. Any meat eaters with vegans or vegetarians in the family? Put your hands up. I'm one of those families. There's division in our world, is there not? How many, are there any uh, cougar fans? Whoa, there's a few. Wow. Uh, and the rival team or the Seahawks? No, I'm just kidding. It's the uh, Huskies. Any Husky fans out here? All right, there is some division this week going on in our state, is there not? Um, how about um, Coke and Pepsi products? How many people like Coke? How many people like Pepsi? How many of you like just anything with corn syrup in it, that healthy? And Yeah, you, you are the uniters, my friend. You unite people. I love that. How about um, Friends versus Seinfeld? Any people like the show Friends? How about Seinfeld? 
sinners. You shouldn't be raising the honest <laughs> How many uniters love both? Okay, there's a few of you guys in here. That's great. Uh, how about The Office versus Parks and Rec? How many people like The Office? Office fans, how many of you guys thought Parks and Rec was just a cheap imitation? Any, any of you guys? <laughs> how many Parks and Rec, how many of you guys love Parks and Rec? That's like your Leslie Nope is like, yeah. Um, any both? Uniters? Good, there's a few of us. I, I like them both, but I have to admit The Office is just a little bit. Um, now, if we were to drill down more and more, and we got to some of the, some of the more uh, heavy things in life, and the real things, the hard things, we talk about socioeconomic realities, political realities, racial realities. There is division going on in our country and, out, and in our lives, many of us, and uh, it's the world we live in. I, I, uh, my brother gave me a, um, a few graphs um, to look at, and I thought they were interesting um, to paint a picture. In 1994... Um, this was kind of the political divide. And there's always going to be different perspectives and some division in, per, in perspective. So, like, no division means no diversity, and that's that's not a great thing. But but look at the uh, 19 or excuse me 2017 graph. Look at how much more divided and polarized. And I'm not I'm not bringing this up. I'm not bringing this up to make a political statement. I just want to acknowledge the reality that that there's division in our world, that we live in a divided world. Um, and today, I'm, we're going to talk about, some of you guys are like, whoa, he, you put that up there. Um, we're going to talk about some real things today. And, and my hope and my prayer is that we would walk you know, through some of the stuff in Scripture that teaches us how to not be dividers, but to be uniters, how to be peacemakers in a, in a broken and divided world. Um, my hope is that it would, wouldn't bring division, but it would be something that we could walk through. And to do that, to walk through anything where you're talking about tension, you have to go through tension. You have to go through and think about some things that, that are challenging, no matter where you're standing. And so my hope is that we could do that uh, today together. Um, there's really interesting um, uh, research from Pew, which is a research comp- company, and uh, they assert a few things, uh, two things that caught my attention. And one of the things they were asserted was that digital layers, like in our world, are adding new dimensions to division. Um, so, for example, digital distrust and divisiveness, they say, will continue growing um, because of these factors. Um, so personal agency or the ability to choose and, and to, have self, to self-determine will be reduced in a, uh, and emotions such as shock, fear, indignation, outrage will be further weaponized online, um, driving divisions and doubt between people. And so sometimes the online, the, the reality that's given digitally might not actually be giving uh, the actual reality. It might be making it look worse than it actually is. It's just because of the way we interact online and digitally. They also talk about digital duress. When they're talking about that, um, the... Uh, research uh, company Pew wrote this, information overload. We live in the, the time and, and age when there's more information, more accessible to more people than there's ever been, ever. And uh, this like information highway is an overload, plus declines in trust between people and face-to-face skills. Have you guys noticed that there's uh, less face-to-face skills as uh, many times our culture has become more immersed in the digital age, it doesn't necessarily mean it's always true, but but it, but those face-to-face skills can become less and less, 
And then it talks about plus poor interface design equals rises in stress. So declining trust and all this information and less face-to-face skills. Um, less, uh, and then poor interface design equals rises in stress, anxiety, depression, inacti- inactivity, like doing nothing, feeling like hopeless, not doing anything, and sleeplessness. We live in a divided world. Um, I'm going to mess this guy's name up. Alexander Soltzenheim has a great quote. Um, and many of us will look at stats. We'd look at like that graph and just see how divided our, the, our country is and our world is. And we could be like, yeah, man, can you believe how, div- how those people have divided our world? And then people over here might think, man, can you believe how they are dividing our world? And that's, the, that's the, one of the commonalities is, is that we have a tendency to blame the other for an us issue. And that's not to say that, that people aren't responsible and there aren't things that people can do that catalyze or cause division, and, but like it can be made worse or exacerbated by the mentality. Well, like that's their thing. That's their problem. And a, and a division happens when there's no talking, when there's no connection to each other. And, um, and so we start to assign that the problem's over there with them. And um, uh, this Russian author, whose name I botched earlier... Um, says this, he wrote the Gulag uh, Archipelago. If only there were, there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? I just think he recognizes something so fundamental. It's so easy to draw a line outside and be like, it's us versus them. And to write people off or to write them as the issue and them as the problem. But the Bible teaches us, and this author who's just observing human behavior, I mean, he went through the, gulag, the gulags in uh, Russia. He just recognized that the, mo- like the worst, most evil person has a line going through the heart. The greatest, best person has a line going through the heart. Sure, people can do things and f- go down paths that can lead to greater and greater evil. But that line starts in the human heart. So if we want to destroy those people for what they do and what they represent, then we also have to consider that that line is also dividing our own heart. Um, Jesus teaches us to be peacemakers. In Matthew 5, 9, it says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be beat up. And no, he says they shall be called children of God. I, I sometimes think about peacemakers like, um, like you got two boxers in a ring and they're, a peacemaker is almost like the ref that comes in that's trying to bring you know, sanity and, and, a, and a sense of, of peace. So this is an actual war, but it's a sport, not just a war, bloody, a bloodbath in front of everybody. And they're trying to keep things legal and safe and good and let them work out their differences you know, as, they're, as they're boxing. And then boom, what happens when the, when the, when the ref puts his head right in the middle of them? Often, if you've ever seen it, they'll get popped in the face. Peacemakers sometimes take the blows rather than the other person. And so if, you're, if you've been in a family... How many of you guys have experienced division in your life? So some of us, okay. How many of you guys have been to... Have a family? Some of you guys have a family? Have you guys, how many of you have been to a church? Okay, so have you experienced some of that? Not to say that there's anything fundamentally wrong with a family or a church. It's, they're just filled with people. 
with lines running down the middle of them and division sometimes just in the middle of our hearts. Um, Jesus has these pesky teachings he teaches us. And one of the things that Jesus came to do was to teach us how we can turn moments of division into moments of peace and inclusion. That's what, my, what this talk is all about. How do we as individuals and as a church turn moments and times of division into moments and times of peace and inclusion? Jesus teaches all these pesky truths about this. Um, it says in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, But to those who are willing to listen, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. And like some of us might be like, that sounds good. I'm so glad I'm a part of a a movement that has a leader who teaches us to love our enemies. But on a personal level, I'm like, are you serious, Jesus? Like when I read this, I and I'm hurt by people or people say things about me that aren't true or hurt and divide. And I even see things I'm online or I'm on my phone. I see stuff and I just want to scream at my device. Of course, I wouldn't swear. I'm a pastor. I know what you were thinking. I would never. And in those moments where someone's hurt me or done something to somebody I love, there's this part of me that wants to say, yeah, Jesus, there's a lot of different ways to interpret what you're saying about enemies. There's a, there's a lot of reasons I just want to write this aspect off and return what has been done to me with some extra mustard. But Jesus teaches the way of peace. He says, love your enemies. In our day and age, we don't have people often breaking out in the streets with you know, violence. Unfortunately, that does happen, but we don't have it as often as in other areas of the world. But under the surface, there really are enemies. And I would say, in our day and age, in our culture, an enemy is anybody that you disagree with strongly. And you just can't stand sometimes. Anybody that you dislike Anybody that you distrust, anybody that has maybe dishonored you and disrespected you. How many have been dishonored and disrespected before? Like that when I'm dishonored and disrespected, there's just something that like rises up. Or if I see someone I love or someone that doesn't deserve it, dishonored, disrespected, you just want to like reach out of you. And I'm not saying that that desire for fairness and justice is bad. It's just what is our response to someone who's acting like our enemy? And Jesus teaches us that Blessed are the peacemakers. He even says in Luke chapter 1, or the Bible teaches us this, because of God's tender mercy, which I like when it's directed toward me, for sure, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, it says. And then verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, those who are divided, and to guide us to the path of peace. So what is the path of peace? What does that look like? Romans 12, 18 says this, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God, why do you keep talking about this whole peace thing? Because there are people that that I know you want peace for, but they just tick me off. When we're talking about peacemaking, I want to make clear, if we're trying to work for peace, if we're trying to do everything in our power for it, it, it makes us ask the question, have I done everything I possibly can? And I think of relationships that where there's divisions and terrors in, in, my, in my life, and I'm like, man, like, I feel like I've done a lot, and, I, and I'm okay. But whenever I read verses like this, or I read like, love your enemy, there's that part of me that's like, but have I done everything? Do you ever feel that way? 
Have I done everything in my power to bring peace? And peacemaking's hard. And the kind of peacemaking I'm talking about is not like ignoring or igniting. Not ignoring and sweeping the problems under the carpet. Like, you know, many of our families of origin, like that's what we do. Or igniting and making it worse. And like taking the, the hurt and the harm and returning it. Jesus teaches us that peacemaking is turning it and converting that into something different. Not Because when we push back or we do like for like, tooth for tooth, eye for eye, we become the thing that we hate. We become um, the type of energy, the type of hatred, the type of, of action and thought and word that we don't even like when we return it. And so it, it's not putting gasoline on the fire and making it ignite into something worse. It's having a vision and an imagination to see beyond retribution, beyond revenge, beyond violence or oppression, or beyond the annoyance of that family member that you're going to hang out with at Thanksgiving this year. It's seeing beyond those things. It's seeing to restoration and reconciliation and and seeing that that is possible. So what does peacemaking look like? What does turning moments of division into peace look like? What I want to submit to you is it looks like Jesus. And we're going to go through a passage. If you have your Bibles, you have a... um, a device. I'm going to trust you're not on fantasy football. You'll be totally watch, you know, paying attention to the sermon with your Bible up. Um, or you can look behind me on the screen. But turn to um, the book of Luke, uh, chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse 36. While you're finding that, um, what I'm going to be talking about is the judo of Jesus. And that Jesus teaches us to love our enemies, to, to bring peace, teaches us the path of peace a different way than the world does. A way that doesn't just run from it. Because there's two reactions to things that, that scare us or, or make us angry. It's fight or flight. F- flight uh, fight or flee. And Jesus teaches a third way. It's a different way. And I, what I'm calling it is the judo of Jesus. And um, how many of you guys know about judo? Judo is the art of absorbing or redistributing and turning the energy and the push, or the fight, the flip, and turning it. In a way that absorbs and shifts it. And so you'll see like judo isn't, is, isn't about just retributive like punches and stuff. It's flipping people. It's using their energies against them. It's converting what was meant for evil into something good. Um, why don't you guys watch this? might give a, a clear image of, of judo. Watch this video for a second. This is pretty interesting. So this guy is old and tiny. He's like five foot nothing. And here's this big young dude coming against him. And this is judo. Nope. (laughs) He's trying to flip him, trying to beat him. It's like, nope. (laughs) Counter counter balances him. See, he's going to try it again. No. This old guy, he just can't (laughs) do it. And there's these, these guys looking at him that are just like, Oh, what's he doing? No, not going to work. <laughs> Let's do it again. Oh, he just can't flip him. Now, uh, watch this. <laughs> Boom! He's like, okay, I'm done. No more. <laughs> this sermon is about the judo of Jesus. And Jesus' interactions with a lot of the Pharisees or people that were upset with him, he would just do that with them. He'd kind of grapple and they'd throw their best and he'd just be like, nope. 
And, but he wouldn't return evil for evil. And by the end, sometimes they'd just be like, okay, I'm done. Thank you. You know, and they'd walk away. That's the, some of the patterns. But I want to bring us through a, a passage I think is so powerful for today. If we have ears to hear, I think this could transform our lives and our world. The Judo of Jesus, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. And so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she has sin in her life. That's the, why they call her the immoral woman. Woman, they don't say exactly what it, what it was. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Um, then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping, and her t- tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, uh, the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And so this moment happens in the middle of this dinner. And just to give you a little background, in these days, the wealthy, the rich, the influential, when they would have dinner parties because they wanted to show the world how benevolent and good they were, they would have the party with the wealthy, rich, influential people and their guests. And then out in the courtyard, they would often have like the scraps from their feast given to the poor. But there was a clear division, a delineation uh, where where the, the poor would have to stay in the courtyard and receive what was left. And that made the, the host, the owner, the, the feast thrower look like a really good person, you know. Uh, but but they, the people out in the courtyard should never come in to the table because... Uh, we're not about southern, they weren't about southern barbecues, they were about barbecues in the backyard where there's fences and clarity of who belongs with who. And Simon sees Jesus allowing this woman to get on her knees and begin like washing his feet. And it, and it, it becomes an offense to Simon. And you might want to take your notes out. If you don't have them, take your, take your notes out. Um, because we're going to go into the judo of Jesus. And then Jesus answered his thoughts, because he knew what Simon was thinking. Simon, he says to the Pharisee, uh, they name the Pharisee. They give him a name. Often they're not named. And I, I feel like it's to give hope to anybody who's grappling with the way of Jesus, struggling with the way of Jesus. And as I read this, like i got to tell you, I struggle sometimes being like Simon. And Jesus says, I have something to say to you. And when Jesus has something to say to you, it's good to listen up. But it might just be like you're about to be flipped. And in this moment, Jesus is turning an insult into initiation. Insult into initiation. The Judah move of turning insult into initiation. Jesus is being insulted by Simon when Simon's like, if he really was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman has touched him. He's not a prophet. He's infected with her sin. Like she's supposed to be out. How would you, how dare you allow some woman come into my place uninvited? She belongs out there. And if you don't know that, you belong out there. And Jesus uses this insult as a moment of, of, of initiating with Simon. He doesn't return like for like and just be like, well, Simon, you're a moron too, you know, and start fighting with him and insulting him back. He doesn't cower from it. He doesn't run from it. He deals with it head on and guess what he does? He doesn't like text somebody. He doesn't turn to one of his disciples and say, you see that jerk Simon over there? He talks directly to Simon. What kind of person does that? Talks directly with someone about a disagreement they might be having. 
about seeing something differently. And so he initiates, go ahead, teacher. Simon replied. (laughs) (laughs) Then Jesus told them this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces uh, to another. But neither of them could repay it. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now, Simon, who do you suppose loved him more after that? After thinking a moment, Simon answered, Well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, Yeah, that's right. In this moment, Jesus is teaching Judo again. He's teaching us to uh, turning reaction into reflection and then action. Uh, it's really a, an important moment. He's, he's teaching Simon to suspend his judgment. To wait a second by telling a story to get him to think. And he's getting us in a world that wants to go fast to slow down. That we don't have to rush to judgment. We see an image on the internet. We, we hear a word. We see something that offends us or, or we think offends us. Or we think even offends somebody else. And we're willing to jump into a fray and start fighting for something without all the facts. Without knowing. Without thinking. Without reflecting. And Jesus is turning reaction into reflection. He's getting Simon to slow down. And I, you know, I just wish they would do that with some of the kids back there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, we love those kids. Man, they do go fast up there. Um, we don't have to rush to judgment. If someone asks you on a, uh, about your opinion on this or that and you don't know, it's okay to say, I don't know. Or to say, you should talk with this person. They know better than me. Or go do some research. One of my friends recently was having an argument with somebody and uh, it was a good friend of his and they were like, man, all these kids these days, they're just, they're just judging people and they're not getting the facts and da, da, da. And he's like, well, that's, yeah, that's really true. And, and later the person came, came back and was like, you know what, I kind of was rushing to judgment there, wasn't I? He's like, yeah, you, you kind of were. It's so easy to do. You know, I, it's easy for me to do when I see that. I just want to react instead of reflect it's easy to want to, it's almost like we want to be offended at times. And we have to let go of that stuff. Um, and Jesus continues with his lesson on the judo of Jesus. Um, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He looks at Simon and he points her out. He says, do you see this woman? What did Simon call her earlier? A sinner. A sinner. And this, uh, I kind of shifted it. You can just write this down in the notes. Um, he's turning, he's using a movement to uh, turning from seeing a label to seeing a person. Do you see the shift? From seeing a label of sinner, immoral woman, to like, do you see this do you see this woman? And I, I feel like when we slow down and reflect, we take a moment like Jesus told the story and had him start thinking through things. And all of a sudden he points at this woman. He's like, do you see her, Simon? Because I don't think you do. I think you just see an offense and an insult, but you don't see the real person. You don't have any compassion. You, there's an inability in you to see the real situation because, because divided people divide people. People who are divided inside and they've got turmoil inside, often they don't even know it. Divided people divide other people. And you're causing a scene. You, in your heart, have already divided her from you. You've already been building walls and you're separating. And, and, and I love that Jesus teaches that. And then, and then going on, he says, um, 
I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. Um, some of you are like, whoa, whoa, what, kiss? Middle Eastern men these days would kiss each other on the cheek, and it was like wonderful. And if any of you guys want to know more about that, Pastor Scott is really good at kissing on the cheek. I would just tell you, ask him for that. Um, but from, to- from the time I've come, she's not ceased kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. He, Jesus, I love in this moment, he is teaching the judo of turning the moment into a mirror. He's turning the enemy, the other, into the teacher. He's saying, you are so blinded by your anger and offense and insult that you can't even learn from your enemy. You can't even see yourself. And he holds up the mirror and he says, look at Simon, look at yourself. I come in, you don't greet me and, and show normal hospitality. And yet she wipes my feet. Back in those days, you, it would be a common to clean the foot of, of a guest that would come in. Simon didn't do that for Jesus. And he's like, and Simon, you, you, she's doing that with her hair and her tears. You didn't greet me with the normal greeting of like a hug and an embrace. And she, she can't stop wiping my feet. You, you haven't greeted me at all. And Jesus is holding up this mirror and saying, like, and all of a sudden it's getting more intense. She did this. You didn't do this. She did this. And all of a sudden Jesus is saying, you have dishonored me. So if you want to talk about dishonor, look at yourself. You just all of a sudden see it getting really quiet in the room. And you want to rush to judgment so quickly and you, you turn a blind eye to yourself. That is wicked. You don't even see who this woman is and you're rushing to judgment. Let her be your teacher, Simon. Let her be a mirror to your life. I have to say from... I learned from my critics probably some of the more, more, most important lessons, even more than some of my friends. Because sometimes my friends won't tell me what's most obviously wrong in my life, or they don't want to hurt my feelings. But my critics and even my enemies, they don't mind telling me. And here's the thing, I want to learn from anybody. Because if you're my enemy and you can't learn from me, I can learn from you. And that's going to make me sharper and better and grow more. And friends, we have to learn how to do it. It's the judo of Jesus. It's turning, not returning. Notice Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't like hitting him. He's taking and absorbing this guy's judgment and anger and exclusion. And he's flipping it. Is this getting real? I love Simon... Um, I love that he, he's judging her so harshly. Here, here's, what I, here's what I want to get at. Um, sometimes we need to turn our harshness on others, on ourselves, to realize how harsh we are. What we write, what we say, what we do. Um, I was hearing my, my daughter yelling at um, the dog and her little brother down sit Wesley sit that's not the dog that's your brother sit I was like man she sounds awful you know and later that day you know Wesley and Whiskey are jumping up on me I'm like down sit I'm like oh where did she learn this sometimes we have to be able to hear ourselves 
He goes on, Luke 7, 44, I entered, or you know, I entered your house and you, you didn't do any of these, these things. He turns the moment into a mirror. And then uh, in 47, it says this, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. I love that, that Jesus doesn't hide from the truth. Doesn't hide from the truth. Um, he, he, there's a turning the truth into transformation. He's, he said, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, like she does have sins, she does have imperfections, there are real things that need to be worked out. Like, like he doesn't hide from that truth. But he also says, she has sinned, you have sinned. And it's, she, her sin is many and your sin is many. There's a lot going on. And, and he, he's turning the truth into transformation, not a trial. I don't want to sit in God's seat. God's the only one who knows the human heart. I don't know the human heart. Now I can discern actions, and, and I'm not saying that we don't discern and that we don't use better judgment, but when, it's talking, when I'm talking about judgment here, I'm talking in the form of condemnation. We are not the ones who condemn. We can condemn actions and things like that, but people, that's, that's God's place. And uh, Jesus isn't turning this into a trial. He's turning it into transformation. Not just for this woman, but who else? Simon. For any of us who might struggle with Simon's tendencies. And I love this. Um, He says to her, your sins are forgiven. In this room where everyone's looking at her and she's entered into a space she's not supposed to be. And Simon's judgment is everyone else's judgment. And Jesus is looking at all their judgment and their anger and their fury. And he just looks at her and he says... Their opinion doesn't matter at all. You're forgiven. Isn't that amazing? To be people who bring peace, peacemakers, that we bring, not, it's not like our forgiveness that's the most important. It's God's forgiveness. That we have good news that there's a God who forgives us. Because we all have, we all have that line going through the middle of our hearts. And in this moment, Jesus of forgiveness and reminding of forgiveness, he's turning exclusion into inclusion, the family of the forgiven. And, and this, I just love the unlikely nature of, of the church, of, of Jesus' movement. If you think about Jesus, there are all these people who are natural, should have been natural enemies. There was, he had zealots on his team that wanted to like have a like militaristic revolution that were one of his, part of his discipleship band. There were, um, businessmen, fishermen, and who weren't educated like other people who would follow a rabbi. And there was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated in those days. Our days, they're loved. But in those days, they were hated. And um, there was, he had former prostitutes and people who were demon-possessed. Uh, he would he, uh, cast the darkness out of them. You know, it wasn't like they were continually following him as disciple, demon-possessed people. But he would cast them out. And there's this unlikely rabble of people that were with Jesus. And I love that, re- that reality because... Because Jesus turns an exclusive reality of our world and divided world into a world of inclusion, a place of belonging, even before belief, so that true change can come. The ragamuffin, you know, following of Jesus, all these ragamuffins, imperfect people, you know, just with him. And and it continued into the book of Acts and it continues in the church today that you and I can sit here with very different perspectives, even disagreement between us. And we can be together in the family of forgiveness because of Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you, is it? Can you go to church with a Republican? Can you go to church with, with, with Democrats? 
Can you even go to church with Libertarians and Green Party? <laughs> can, you, can you be in a community with people who think differently and act even differently than you? We can. It's just, the, the, the family of God is like this beautiful mosaic. And when you look closely, you see all the broken shards and all the messed up pieces. And you're like, are you kidding me? And yet somehow Jesus created this unlikely band of misfits and turned it into the church, this beautiful mosaic that you can only see when you kind of stand back. And it's like we get really close up to it and you're like, ah, these broken pieces. But then when you step back in these moments, you get glimpses of the beauty of the mosaic of the church. And Jesus turns exclusion into inclusion. Verse 49, Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives uh, sinners? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And Jesus is turning fury into forgiveness. And so there's a moment of decision for Simon. Will he decide the way of peace? Will he decide to follow Jesus? Will he decide to let go and see the mirror and change and become a peacemaker? But if he does, there's going to be a cost because the one, like he's been judging this woman. If he steps out and says, I'm going to join the misfit band of the redeemed ragamuffins, if he decides to join that band, all his friends are going to judge him now. And so, like, there's actual risk with relationships and there's actual habits that change in our lives when we learn the judo of Jesus. And there's, and like, like that referee that's in the middle of a boxing match, you're going to get hit sometimes. And sometimes it's not going to go well. And sometimes your judo is going to not be good judo and you're going to lose control and you're going to want to, like, strangle somebody. And you're just going to have to come in and be like, no, 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 no. Judo. We don't return like for like. We turn evil into good. Now, when we see this passage, we have a choice, much like Simon. We have a choice to step into becoming peacemakers. But when we read this, I think sometimes we can be so far from the Middle Eastern world in which this happened that we can see this woman who knelt down and was washing his feet. And we might think, if someone did that at one of our parties, we might be like, that's kind of weird. That's weird. But it wouldn't like offend us. But in our world, there, there are things that offend us. And I, I would even submit that, that kneeling can offend us. I mean, look at this picture. Um, I told you we were going to get real today. Um, when our world in our time sees this, like someone in another country might not think anything of this. But in our country, in our time, this is controversy. This is conflict, is it not? And I'm not bringing this up to tell you what your opinion should be about this. That, I'm not bringing, I'm not, we don't want to tell people what to think. We want to help teach people how to think, how to become like Jesus. And so I, I'm not bringing this up um, to tell you what to think or how you should think about this issue. Um, and I'm not saying that, that this image is, the, is a parallel exactly of the woman washing Jesus, Jesus' feet. What I am saying is this is a controversial, symbolic gesture in our culture. Are you with me? And my question is, does, does this moment, as the world sees it, lead to division or to love? Does this lead you to love others 
and practice the judo of Jesus, no matter what you think about this. Because how you react is much more important than your opinion about this. Are you with me? And so the judo of Jesus doesn't say don't speak your truth. Speak your truth to people, but seek to understand. And rather than allowing a symbol in the middle of like our lives, in the middle of the, this, uh, the world that we have, like much like in Jesus, a symbol that could divide people, how do we turn this into something? And moments like this that happen daily, like granted, this is a big one in our culture that's been kind of raging for a little while, but it's really revealing what's under. Does this, do we allow it to, to become something that, that is a mirror into our own lives? Like, why am I so angry about this? Why am I feeling? Uh, and, and then when I communicate what I believe about something like this, do I do it in love? And am I speaking my truth? And am I seeking to understand somebody? Am I doing all those, those steps of judo that we saw Jesus do? Because that's far more important than what you think about this or what you might think about other things. Like God will work those things out and we will, I feel like we can have differences of opinion that don't have to divide us. Are you with me? So how did Jesus ultimately unite a divided and broken world that were, when Simon saw that woman, that this is kind of what he saw. Like that kind of controversy. And there's moments where there's controversy that, you know, should righteously make us angry. I don't know what makes you angry. How do you deal with your anger? In in Ephesians, Jesus, um, well, it talks about Jesus like this. It says, Ephesians 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He's the peace bringer. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Jews were people who followed the way of Judaism and anybody who didn't and wasn't Jewish was a Gentile. And it says that he united them into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He created the biggest front yard southern barbecue you could ever imagine spiritually for the world. Broke down all the fences, all the walls to bring people together. It doesn't mean there's no truth. It doesn't mean that there's, there's not such a thing as deception or lies or bad behavior or sin. It's just saying that Jesus in his own body on the cross absorbed all the evil and division that the world could throw on. All the violence, all the terror. Absorbed it and turned it. He didn't return his enemies hate. He didn't return his enemy's violence. He absorbed it to create a way to God. He created peace between humankind and God. And that's the kind of peace that we need in our world. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. So Jesus created peace for humankind um, and peace between humankind and God. And friends, I don't know how you can have peace, long-lasting peace, uh, each without the other. We need God. It starts there with peace with Him. Because any peace that we have with other people breaks down over time. If you want to follow the way of Jesus, you're following the way of peace. Converting hate into love. Converting uh, exclusion into inclusion. Converting division into peace. Um, But it's hard. And so what I wanted to leave with you today was this. Peace is worth it. On the other side, there's joy. There's alleviation. You, don't, you can let down the burdens of unforgiveness, uh, hatred, uh, separation. And you can come together with people and you can see lives changed. So um, I want to give you an opportunity just to pray a prayer of peace.
This is a prayer that's just saying, I want to be a peacemaker. If you're somebody who wants to be a peace bringer, a a peacemaker in our culture, would you just uh, pray this prayer with with me? And you can pray it out loud. You can pray it quietly. I'm going to be reading this out loud because this is for me as much as it is for anybody else. In a world that I, when I see some things and I want to react instead of like reflect, this, is, this reminds me, George, you follow Jesus and he was a peacemaker. So pray this prayer with me, if you would. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to make peace between God and humanity. You are the God of all peace and hope. I want to commit my life to becoming a peacemaker. Help me to love my neighbors and my enemies the way you love all people, even those who have hated you. Give me patience, forgiveness, and strength to bring peace with my family, friends, co-workers, and world. I ask that your spirit would help me bring peace, especially to my divided relationships. Help me, Lord, as far as I can influence to work for peace with all people all my life. Jesus, I give my plans for my life over to you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. So go in the way of peace. This Thanksgiving, reach out. If there's division in your family, reach out and make it right. When you're with your family, put your phones down, put them away, and talk face to face. And may the peace of Christ be with you, with your families, friends, uh, father figures and mother figures and come together. Amen?